Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, The State of the Technostate. In our deep dive today, we look at technology's role in social policy. As evidence of the deleterious effects of social media grow, what is the proper role of government oversight on technology platforms, and how do those impact personal freedoms? And in Courage or Cringe, megachurch pastor vaccine proclamation, the monochromatic Emmys, and TikTok totalitarianism, are religious exceptions to COVID vaccine mandates a clever workaround for the vaccine hesitant? Or are they foundational concessions made to citizens in order to maintain a free society? Was last week's entertainment award show a shocking display of continued and consistent racial disparity in Hollywood? Or was it simply the reality of awarding prizes to the best performers who all happened to come from the same ethnic group? And finally, is a Chinese tech company's new restrictions on digital access for minors evidence of innovation suppression coerced by a collectivistic government? Or are they a proactive policy prescription to protect children from potentially addictive and damaging outcomes? This and more this week on TDR. Have you watched any of the um, Senate hearing things no. this week or last week? I have not, no. <clears throat> Some seriously like intense scrutiny of these platforms by both political parties, especially Facebook. The guy from Facebook um, who runs, I guess, public policy and whatever you call that group. He was there. He was being interrogated. But it, <laughs> it's the way to describe interrogate. It was. He was being interrogated. It was but it's such a it's such a dance. It seems so disingenuous. The whole like um senator. Like they all have that down, you know? Senator, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. No you don't. You don't appreciate the question. You're a, that's a that's a difficult question for you. You're offended by it. Like it's just so fake that whole process. All that like um I don't know, that fake decorum. I mean, I understand, I guess, decorum has to exist for some... But isn't that the case with all political conversations, debates? I, I don't right? know. I guess. I right? guess. It's like you don't answer the question. You basically answer the question you want to answer. 
Yeah, or you just right? repeat the same thing, which is the non-answer to something else. Or your talking point. Right. And right? There, so and there were a couple of times when – well, most of the time I would say that the senators were actually trying to get a real answer. They were saying things like, I'm going to ask you just very simply a very simple question. Like one of the questions was, you've already had this data. It was about Instagram and the damage that it does – that Facebook itself has found that it contributes to young girls. Mm-hmm. And the question was, will you share the research with the Senate committee? The, the research is done. And the answer was like, as we told you, as, as, as Senator, thank you for the question. We take research very seriously. We study it at length. I mean, it was like this whole conversation. And the question was, will you make the research available to us? And the guy asked it like four times. Right. And the answer was always this. Thank you for your question. I really appreciate it. We'll, you know, we really take this seriously. It was, and it's so frustrating. And now, of course, there's other times when the senators use the question as an opportunity to advance their own agenda and position yeah. and platform. But it was really what was interesting just frustrating is, um, to there watch. Was, there was a piece, maybe I don't know if it was New York Times or who was talking about this mm-hmm. very recently. I saw it, I think today or yesterday. Yeah, where they were talking about that apparently Facebook has changed their position as it relates to how they're going to handle many of these controversies, and it happened, I guess, sometime earlier this year, because their policy, while it may not feel like it to most of us, mm-hmm. was to be very transparent, to be very quick to take the blame, to apologize. Um, and even something that Zuckerberg himself has taken in the chin a number of times. Um, and the, basically, according to that, the, that that piece, and according to people that were inside of Facebook, they were saying is that they thought that that stra- strategy of transparency, of taking, of apologizing when things have gone awry, even if it's not necessarily their fault or they've contributed to it, but it's not entirely on them, has not led to people having a better view of Facebook. Yeah, well, I mean, but 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 has the, has the counter position led to a better? But that's my point. View? But but think about think about what what that what that means in the yeah. context of what you're saying. Yeah. So their position, like, well, why should we continue taking it in the chin? Why should we continue apologizing? Let's just not do that, right? Let's not be transparent. Let's not apologize. And I'm now matting the editorial, but it's basically the counter thing, mm-hmm. right? Which you say because if we need to do more to defend ourselves because no one else is going to come and defend us. And they actually talked about even the even to the point of using Facebook feed to promote more positive stories about Facebook that they could use to basically rebuild the, the brand, uh, the brand image, which goes counter to like more transparency, et cetera. But I don't think anyone would ever claim that they were so transparent to begin with. So it's a really right. interesting dynamic. Like, the, if you think about it from the perspective of you're in the leadership position of Facebook, you know, what is your incentive at this point? To be overly transparent well, with any of, this thing, on any of these things. Just, I mean, just ethics and morals. I mean, aside from that, not much. This was the Senate Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Competition Policy, Antitrust, and Consumer Rights. Wow. They held a hearing yesterday, and it was called Big Data, Big Questions, Implications for Competition and Consumers. It was chaired by um, Senator Klobuchar. And this is the dude I was thinking about for Facebook. His name is Steve Satterfield. And he is the head of, I guess, public policy or something. But this guy got just run over, trashed. Like, I mean, completely incompetent answers from, as far as I'm concerned from both sides, from uh, Senator Lee, who was a Republican, from Senator Klobuchar. I mean, this guy just got ran over. Um, anyway, it was, a, it was a bit of a bus wreck, but it was fun to watch for like 10 minutes. 
And then I got really frustrated with, uh, with the non-answers. But that's just me. Unbias it. That's the name of that company. It is. Which in a way is interesting because it's kind of the idea that we talk about having a insight drive a product and a, mm-hmm. or even a company as opposed to try to retrofit. Mm-hmm. So in a way, when I first came across unbiased it, I was thinking, oh, this will be something cool to talk about. But, um, but it's a pretty, pretty interesting can of worms that gets opened up oh, to my mind pretty de- quick. It definitely is. Yeah. What is it? What is unbiased it? So unbiased it is this uh, software company, right, which basically claims to even identify unconscious bias within an organization by monitoring for signs or keywords related to racial, gender, or age bias, right? Now, that company was it, – it, funny, funny when, when I read it, it talked about that it was sort of created outside of the tech ecosystem. But it was created by, uh, by Black Progress Matters, which is a Phoenix, uh, Arizona-based uh, staffing agency that helps companies add more minorities to their executive ranks and also runs an incubator for minority-owned businesses. Right? Now, the tech itself, it actually relies on keywords and phrases spotting, right, plus signals such as the location of words and phrases in a message to determine when, when to flag an email, text, or call recording. So that's actually one of the interesting points about this. Like what it's tracking is like basically any communication was considered, you know, uh, communication or work communication. Yeah. So you leave a voicemail for somebody, you text somebody, you email somebody, this, this thing is crawling Correct. that content to find whatever these signals are. Right. Phrase spotting. As you yeah. Put and once it finds the wording that is objectionable, it can alert, as an example, the DNI group, right? Diversity, uh, diversity, what's equity, the, equity and inclusion group. Right to assess and take proper steps. Right, that could include everything from offering additional training to maybe speaking to the individual, etc. Right, it's got a little bit of a kind of a Batman feel to it. And it's like once we find it, we alert the DEI. It's like the big like bat in the sky. And oh, like, I see. I don't know where they're going like, with this. We're, like, Wait, what? We're gonna jump into this right away. We've been alerted. Uh, yeah. Um, there's of course immediate concerns around it. Right. This because probably the biggest one is like. By doing this, are you actually destroying company culture, hmm. right? Especially for employees that will find it pretty disturbing that they have that they're being constantly surveilled uh, by the platform, right? Adding stress, killing morale, etc. And then the other thing, which is I thought was interesting, that the uh, piece that I was reading about this talked about is like it, it may not actually prevent uh, biases and actually worse, give people a false sense of security for some of these companies that they're actually addressing some of these diversity inequities potentially within mm. organizations. Or worse than give them a false sense of security. I mean, it could do a lot, a lot of things potentially, but yeah, it could, it could, it could let them feel that they're checking a box, right? Yeah, for sure. So there, there is, I mean, we, we could just talk about it now. I mean, there's a lot to sort of unpack as it relates to what this technology is meant to do, what it can do. I would say in general, when you think about these types of technologies, there's a number of them that are out there, right, that help monitor employees. And at least from what I looked up, most have pretty checkered sort of uh, – uh, there's, there's there is there is definitely uh, conflicting views as it relates to how effective they actually are, right? right? Um, even, and I, I read one like really like good quote in one of the pieces we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It literally said, monitoring employees can have benefits. But could also decimate employee morale and paradoxically wake, uh, wake, uh, weaken. I'm sorry, ethical behavior. So it's like you 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 sort of almost training your employees how to be able to break the system when they know that this is what they're being tracked against, right? And when yeah. you're talking about 
spotting these kind of biases or unconscious biases that is based on how the words people use, you know, pretty quickly people change language and what they call certain things. You know, and as part of as as part of the model, look at what happens with students in school now through all of COVID and all the different things. You know, you got to be on camera, you got to have your video on all these different things. So the kid makes up a fake cutout. There's a background. There's some other app. Look at the what's it called? The fake Instagram, Instagram, whatever it is. The one that like the kids have on their phone. So the parent clicks into it, thinking it's Instagram because it looks just like it, but it's like a totally vanilla version. And you hide your real Instagram on your phone. Well, so like yeah, there's always there's, a hack. People create multiple accounts. Yeah, there's one like no, for your friends. No, this is like a whole app, a whole new app, uh, Instagram. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what I know of is of, of people having two different accounts. One is for like public consumption, including your parents, and then one is for your friends. And maybe it is just if Finsta is a short for Finstagram or fake Instagram, referring to an account made so that a user can post images and interact with other accounts in a more private way, usually reserving the account's followers to close friends. Yeah. Right. So that's that's what I yeah that's that's what I know of. But that's it's, it is an Instagram account. Yeah. It's just like only for your friends. But it's the one you're you're positioning it as your account when it's not your account, right? No, no, so, it is your account. It's okay. just that you only make that available to people that are your friends. So if your parent wants to know your Instagram Instagram account, you, you only, don't you, you right. don't show that one. You share right. the other one. Right. Which is like here's the PG version of my account, and then here's the Correct. one that's the real version of who I am. Right. But the objective is it's meant to deceive. On some level. No. No, 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 no not, not at all. I, I, it's meant to uh, think of it more in terms of who you show yourself to yeah. are different groups. So there is the version that I'm willing to share, especially for younger kids, my mm-hmm. parents with relatives, et cetera, the PG version. And there is there's a version of who I really am amongst my friends that I want to communicate with that I don't want any of my relatives to follow me on. And you don't see that in some way as deceiving? Uh, well, they're two different things. You're not deceiving anyone from, from it. You're deceiving to the degree that a parent may not know this other account is there, but there are two both versions of you. There is a private conversation, a public conversation. Like, we all do that all the time. I think the context that I've heard it used in is mostly teenagers who have their real conversations, to your point, their kind of real self, mm-hmm. and then the self that they want their parents or other people sure. to think about. So. Yeah I, I, yeah, I guess what I consider deceiving is very different. It's like you're not using that account to to basically like to troll somebody that's like they're separate they have like a troll account or something else like that where people you really don't want people to know who you are while you're mm-hmm. doing things that you don't want them to know about this is more like this is the real version of me that I'm only making available to my friends definition number one of deceive is to give a mistaken impression C- correct there are certain things that I would say at a family reunion that I wouldn't say in front of my friends I'm not deceiving my family by not saying certain things I'm simply sh- maybe that's more my or there's certain things that I may say at a church or at a public gathering that I may not speak the same way or talk about the same issues that I do with with close friends. Yeah, but that's self regulation. That's moderation. I mean, I'm talking this about is. this is almost like in a separate identity department. It's like, look, I, I want people to believe something, which fundamentally isn't the fullness of what the truth is. That to me falls into that category. If it was something like, I, I want to have a phone for work and a phone for personal, I understand that. I think the difference here that we're talking about, if, I mean, you could look at it the same. It's fine. It's just that, like, I'm, for example, I follow my nieces mm-hmm. on both their public account, like they're the one that for everyone, and also their Finster account, right? Uh, because they've shared it with me. Now, I, I don't even think I asked. I don't even know, Frank, I don't even know how I got it. And you can see it, and I don't see one is deceiving the other. It's simply like one is clearly for her friends. 
Like we're having our insider conversation with my friends. And then one is for everybody else. It's more the, the, the things that I want to, you know, more. Yeah, sort of, but let's be honest. But, but, on the but, Finsta, you, but, are you going to have but, your, but you're the saying, stuff that is going to be pretty controversial or dicier, things that you don't want people to know about you, certain people. Yeah? Sure. But that's the case on social in general. I mean, you can make that argument with, you know, things that you put on your story versus things you, you put on your feed versus DMs that you have conversation with, with other people. There are certain things that are like are for a lot of people and some things that are only for, for certain individuals. I, mean, I think we're getting caught up in the, what deceive is. I mean, look, certainly, certainly it could be someone that is like, I'm going to deceive the world by sharing a version that is not really me and then I'm going to talk to certain people a certain way. But I, I just, once again, I'm using maybe a data, a data point of like two or three people, which mm-hmm. are my younger nieces. Right. That That is not the intent. The intent is this is for my friend's conversation and this is for everybody else. And it's not like I'm trying to deceive everybody else of who I am. I'm simply like... There are certain discussions that I'm having. There are certain ways that I'm communicating that is really more meant for my insider group. And both accounts, in the case of something like Instagram, can be public or private. So, therefore, there's a public view and more of a private view. Yeah. So, I, definitely see I would not call neither one of them as being deceiving or... I can understand the difference of having, like, messages. Like, right now, I mean, I have a Facebook account. It's, pr- it's public to the whole world. I say some things on there that are personal, but other times I don't. When I text my wife, I text her things that are just between she and I, but I don't have two Facebook profiles. Well, think of it as having a Facebook group, have... being part of a Facebook group. I was always saying maybe the better comparison would be like your Facebook public account and then mm-hmm. being part of a Facebook group, right? And the case of the Finsta account, in my mind, is much more closer to a Facebook group, which is still Facebook, but you're having only conversation within a certain set of people, mm-hmm. which is just that you really can't do that and it relates to posting things publicly in, in Instagram. According to the Urban Dictionary, last point on this, Finstagram is short for a mi- Finsta, short for a mixture of fake and Instagram. People, usually girls, get a second Instagram account along with their real Instagram to post any pictures or videos they desire. The photos or videos posted are usually funny or embarrassing. Only your closest friends fo- follow this account. Right. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't change my position whatsoever on it. Okay. I, I, there could be people that really, because I think even in that point you just described, then which is the fake one? Uh, the well, public one or the one where there's like really sharing things that are funny to your friends? I don't know. See, see what I'm saying? Like, like I don't, it's, but it's I a just context of, yeah, I it's guess all I just, on, on intent, right? It is on intent. Of course. You, I mean, there's, there's those situations where I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Somebody says, well, you know, I can use this, whatever it is. I watched the video of a guy who's a police impersonator on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, uh, a gun that's not a real gun. It shoots mm-hmm. like these uh, pepper ball things. And he's saying, it's like, well, you know, I, I have it because I'm trying to use it for self-defense. The guy escorts funerals. Okay. And he sits there. He, he wears a bulletproof vest, but he says it's because he rides a motorcycle. And when he falls, he doesn't want to get hurt. There's like a reason he can rationalize for everything. But the intent of it is he wants to impersonate a police officer right. to show and get authority that he otherwise wouldn't get. And uh-huh. I think that's the case here. The case here is to... Not show your true self or the fullness of who you are to certain people and to hide something from those people. That's the overarching intent. If not, then you just message all your private stuff to your private friends and let the, just like I do now, I have message stuff to private to people yeah. all the time. I don't act as a different person to other people. That's part of, I think, what's driving a lot of the yeah no, the dilemmas I, of wellness. I don't agree, but it's okay. We're not okay. Gonna, we're not going to agree on all this right. one. I just I'm not my, understanding my, my principled my, reason to disagree. My reference is. Gen Z kids who I know have Finsta accounts. Right. 
And it's was in using your Facebook example, which is not a good because those kids are not even on Facebook. But let's let's use the Facebook example. It's a different any between, platform. No, 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 it's not about any platform. I think it's it's very specific platforms. Like Facebook, you have your public account, and then you have private groups that you're part of. The discussions you have in private groups are going to be different than what you put publicly for anyone to see. So I think of it's the much more about this is the private group that I'm part of. Mm-hmm. And you're making a decision with the conversation you're having with the, with the private group, all within the same Facebook, are going to be different than what you talk about there than when you're posting for everybody else. And I would agree with and you. And that's if not it was just a, group, a scenario. But, yeah, I, but, but, but it's, it's, a, it's, the it's same, not. It's the same concept in the sense of. I know, Charlie, but you're talking about, like, have you actually, like, used anyone's Facebook account? Like, you're talking about, you, like, like, like it's, no, I haven't, but I can, I can make a principled argument. I'm not hearing one from you. What I'm saying is you can join a group. I understand the, that concept. I'm joining a group. The conversation is going to be around a particular topic, and it can be private or public or whatever. Right. I get that. What you're changing here is who you are, not what you're joining. Do you yeah. not see that distinction? Yeah, I, I guess, but I, I, don't see, I guess I don't see it that way in the practical usage of it. Now, to your point, if there is a case where someone is saying, I don't want like, people to really know like, the true version of me, and I'm only going to show the true version of me, and I'm going to show a fake version of me here, that's, I think, a different thing versus I'm putting things that are public in one, in one account, and I'm putting things that are more private, that are more within my friends in a separate account. Mm-hmm. I look at this much more in that second scenario. So you scenario. see it as a, almost like if you're a public figure on Facebook, let's say as an example, I, versus a private page. I, yeah, I guess I put it more in the in the context of like, even what you put on LinkedIn, at least historically, now it's so, so close together. But mm-hmm. th- I think of it more maybe that way. Historically, what I would put on LinkedIn will be a different type of conversation that I would put on Facebook. That used to be the case. Right. Now those are to a very overlap. Correct. I see. But we're this talking about two LinkedIn's in this case, though. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. literally about to make that point. Mm-hmm. So this one, in my mind, are, is much more in the. It's it's more. You may lose my train of thought. It's closer to what it was before, mm-hmm. where LinkedIn was like, I'm gonna do my more professional version, and I'm gonna have my more me at home in my shorts, what I'm into, whatever in Facebook. Those worlds have now merged in LinkedIn for for a large part. But I think, to me, when I think about the Instagram accounts, it's more that. It's more like, here's my public, my my work version of who I am, and then here's more my personal. Now, you can say people on LinkedIn are then for lying, being fake about who they really are, because they're not sharing some of the things that they will share in a Facebook account that is more private to them. I guess you're right, that's but, not but, the point but I'm I making. also think like that's not really the case. You're right. I would agree with that. Two different things. I would agree it's two different things because they're two different platforms. The equivalent would be I have two inst- two LinkedIn's. One is the LinkedIn, I, I know, Charlie, you're, where I pri- where I do private things that I don't want everybody on LinkedIn to know. The other one is I've got the other LinkedIn. I, I get that, Charlie. Y- it, your it, argument it, makes sense the moment you talk about like a Facebook public versus private kind of dynamic. Sure, I guess you could want to put it that way. I'm giving you That's the, what it makes I'm sense. giving you the LinkedIn versus Facebook. I realize it's a different platform mm-hmm. in terms of the usage of how you present yourself. Right. All I'm making that argument to you is that simply because you won't talk about certain issues in one account versus the other. Just imagine that we're the same account. Imagine that we're in the same in the same platform. And one of my accounts is gonna be my professional account. And one of my, my my personal account. Right. The the argument that I'm pushing back to you is because one is your professional account doesn't mean that I'm being fake. It could be that you could be being fake. You're sure. You can say, hey, I'm all for supporting diversity. And in my, in my private account, I'm like, fuck those guys. Yeah, then, then you are being fake. You're right. There's always that use case. But I just don't see it as being necessarily tied to that. But right. it's a, it's just, a use case mm-hmm. of that, sure. 
you could do that. I just don't see it as, as tied up. Just because you have two accounts, one that is more public and one is more private, doesn't mean that you're trying to be fake or it automatically means that you're fake about the, the, the public one. Mm-hmm. Every time I've heard of Finsta, I've heard it referred to as a fake Instagram compared to a real Instagram. And a fake Instagram for the purposes of some kind of obfuscation or segregation or something else. That's what I think the general intent is. It's interesting because I hadn't actually never heard it as being fake Instagram. I always thought it would be friend Instagram is why like Finsta was, was a name. Now, you're, I mean, if that's what you found, fine. That could be the case. But that was always my orientation as to what it was used for. And it's funny because in a way you're right, right? I'm reading a quote right now, and it says, um, even though Finsta is fake, this is a quote, my real Instagram account is kind of fake, like only pictures of my best life. Sure. I use my Finsta to share funny inside jokes with my closest friends. Mm-hmm. My real Instagram has 400. My fake one has like eight. And that's referring to the Finsta. So in a way, maybe it's more authentic. Yeah. But I still think it, I mean, that the, it could the intention be is fake. to. It, yeah. it could be that. I mean, that's where I disagree with you is like making a blanket statement that anyone that has a public Instagram mm-hmm. and a Finstagram means that they're trying to fake people of who they are. Or lie about who they are. I just think it's not really the way that right. these all kids look at it that way. Uh, there's some, I'm sure, and there's some that there's some where let's be honest. All Instagram can be considered fake. It's a it's a you know curated version of who you are. I'm just referring to the general intention of it. You know, there are people who used to buy Playboy for the articles. There are okay. So sure, sure. and if that's the case, you want. I'm make, not even sure great. how we got to this. I don't know, but it's great. It's a good conversation. <laughs> We're talking about. Um, the company that was making all of this uh, crawling stuff, this crawling technology. I forgot what the name of it was already. Uh, unbiased it. Unbiased it. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't know how that has anything to do with what we're talking about. Well, I can't keep the strings together, but uh, that's what we were talking about. Of course, it, well, it does in the sense that we're talking about crawling content and having people um, create content that was, I don't know, maybe a persona. I don't know how we got into it, but... We can rewind and, and see. No, no idea, Charlie. All right. Well, what, do you, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> I don't know. You just, you know. Uh, I think, look, for me, the issue with this, I'll kind of, you know, jump to my thoughts on it. Um, I think that the idea is there's an overarching principle, right, which is that when you try to fix something that is bad, It takes work to do, okay? Just generally speaking. The idea of trying to get people to not be biased or have issues about um, discrimination or whatever, that's a good. But in order to achieve that good, it requires work. It requires personal uh, transformation, right? And I think sometimes when we issue these kind of oversight things, we can create a false positive, like you said earlier, but we can also lessen the work and therefore lessen the effects. It reminds me a lot of the idea of uh, diversity training and why the mandatory ones fail. And they don't just fail. They fail dramatically. Um, and in fact, they're actually counterproductive. They create less diversity, right? And it's because you lose the mentorship part that works. You lose all of this like personal interest and you just basically say – like we're, you know, you have to do this. It's to me, it's kind of in the same category of we're going to watch you to make sure that you're not saying anything wrong. But it doesn't walk with somebody. It doesn't mentor them. It doesn't explain. It just it's, it doesn't help somebody do the work to actually get better at these things. 
And so I think ultimately it, it, it can lead to that uh, negative outcome, even if the intent is a positive one. That's generally the category that I put this kind of thing in. Yeah, when I read this, uh, what this company has done with Unbiased It, I, I don't see a single thing positive about it. Um, I, I see it as all downside. And, and the reason for that is I think that we, we talk about the need for nuanced conversation. This is like the opposite of that. Um, that is tracking all communication. First of all, the whole idea of monitoring people's communication across the board, I think is very counter to how people want to be treated as adults, want to be respected, valued as employees. When you look at some of those research that people have shared, it's it basically is more along those lines. That when you when you give that kind of level of monitoring, it actually makes people misbehave more because they're really like being treated like children. And, and they look for hacks and outs and things like and that. And ways to beat the system, yeah. frankly, right? Um, and and I, so I don't see anything uh, of this that in my mind is at all positive. And even the whole thing of like, it's almost like guilty until proven innocent. And look, even though they say, look, we're going to, Figure out this require more training and we're going to go talk to them. Imagine yeah. the first time someone has a conversation with you like, wait a minute, that was like, I <laughs> was saying this as a, as a, it like was as a my, joke. First of all, it was a joke. First of all, it was on my fence number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. Uh, it was as a joke uh, or this is not what that means. Like this is completely taken out of context. And I get that it's going to be reported and then they get to like then review, listen to, look at the entire email thread and figure out. The bat signal goes into the sky. Like all of that is just terrible. Okay, like, well, what about, how, but how do on. you how do you give yeah. how do you entrust your employees? How do you make them feel valuable when you are? But let me push back a little bit. Okay, let me play devil's advocate. Sure. So, what about somebody who would say, Jesus? We have these things in like finance already. You can't write something that suggests insider trading, and we've got all kinds of tech that's crawling those emails and sure. doing whatever. Like, what would you say about that? It's like that's I think already the, the rule. The rules against insider trading. The rules against um, any any of those things. I think are much much more black and white uh, than as it relates to relationships between people, communication between people that are not black and white. Um, and so I, while I understand the argument, as to maybe you're using it as a reference model, I, I don't think you should be applying that to a relationship between people. I agree with that a thousand percent. I'm going to push back one more time. Okay. Other, other way. All right. So what about if somebody were to say, but you don't understand because you're not black, this is created by black a black company because these are the unique issues that black people contend with, and we need a way to spot it. And Google's not going to design the software because they're all not not black. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, in this case, I have a unique perspective that because I am Latino, I can relate to it. I know what it is to be looked at like, oh, because you're Latino, you got that job, or because of uh, affirmative action, you got, you know, in that school. So. I could absolutely relate to it. So that's not really a sort of, to me, okay. like, throw that out the window really yeah. quickly because I can relate to it. And even having said that, I actually think it does more harm uh, to those diverse employees in those organizations that now they're being, that everyone else is being punished um, and being even monitored to this nth degree because of trying to protect the feelings. Many people would look at it that way yeah. of, of, of people that should be valued for more than just their ethnicity. We use the the term Orwellian a lot lately. You know, George okay. Orwell, 1984, uh -huh. Big Brother is watching and all that. But this one really does feel very like right think, right speech. And when you have a violation, we deploy it to, again, Mount Olympus. You can imagine that they come into your office and knock and you say, like, that was a no-no. You can't say, you know, it's just, it's, it's not terrible. the way to do this. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I will offer one little grain of hope is that the thing, the only thing maybe that is redeeming about this 
is the idea that it seems to me like an exercise where there's a need um, and the solution is being built into the very beginning of a new product. Now, in this case, the execution doesn't necessarily work, but like it seems like a diverse need potentially created a new product as opposed to, you know, trying to retrofit existing products to solve a unique need. And maybe I'm grasping at straws. I'm trying to yeah, give them a the bone. Yeah, I, I, it's it's yeah. I don't I don't because look at the end of the day, what is it you're trying to solve for? Are you trying to solve for people not using language that may sound biased, or are you trying to solve for changing culture in the business? It's a great point. If if so, I would say if if it's a former changing language, then yeah, great, mm-hmm. use this. It'll get people to change the language. They may still mean the yeah, same thing, feel the same thing, just job. use different words. It's a paint job. Mm-hmm. Right? That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Then it achieves it. But if it's about changing culture, having people monitoring all of their conversations and, and walking around with a ruler, slapping people the second they fall a little bit out of the line is just the worst way yeah. to change culture. Yeah. I agree. I think the struggle, like I said, requires personal transformation. It takes work. It takes relationship, not just oversight. I think this is a little bit lazy, and I think that the outcome will be uh, negative. What does it say, though, about the broader you know, issue about how technology can be utilized for the purposes of rectifying you know, social ills around um, bias and racism and that kind of stuff? What, what does it say? Because there could be a whole slew. This could be a roadmap of stuff like this coming up, right? I mean, yeah, like, I could totally see that. I could see people sort of taking two ideas and saying there is a lot of energy around addressing these racial, ethnic inequities about finding a way to find, you know, to basically push some of these agendas forward that have come a lot of a result of what happened, you know, obviously last year with, with George Floyd and all of that sort of that sparked investment around more black and brown opportunities, et cetera. I could see people say, hey, is there a more scalable version of that? And say, oh, how do we use technology so they can be, they basically solve that problem? And it's like, great, we have a, a, a need that we think is there around an issue that people really care about, whether they care about it or not, they're willing to invest in it. Right, and then number two is is now some technology that that sounds really scalable. I can see people getting really excited. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. There is nothing good about this. Nothing. nothing. Yeah, I can't disagree. I yeah, definitely think. And, I wouldn't want to work there. And and I definitely wouldn't want to work I, there. I frankly like these guys that built it. I could totally see them saying, "Hey, hey we are the we're to some extent an authority in this. Therefore, fund us." And I could actually see them getting pretty well funded. Oh, I'm it's sure. Still a terrible I'm idea. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a lot of terrible they have like ideas one pilot right, right now, now that is where this actually this piece came from. They're they're starting to test it, but um, I, I just hope you know we you and I talk about quite a bit of people keeping their agency right, saying something. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to say something at some point. Be like, hey, time out, guys. This is like, super and, and, bad. And if, and if it starts in the context of like, if we want to build corporate culture, sustain it, and especially when people are now remote, which is much harder. Like this goes counter to that. Yeah, it's, destruct- my, it's but, destructive of culture. Yeah, it's destructive not, of culture. It's not yeah, edifying. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's my issue with it. Good. Well, I think, I think we're on a page, despite the fact we disagree on everything else. We, we went quite, quite a ways to get back to the point. But. Shall we uh, move on? Sure. Courage or cringe? We'll be puncher. Did we say they were going to be puncher? Then we puncher. go on a, I don't know. On a 40-minute rant about something completely related. I have no been, idea how you got me to that point. It's been a long day. It's been uh, a long day. Courage or cringe? The first one, uh, Texas megachurch preacher 
and Trump devotee uh, says that there is no credible religious argument against COVID-19 vaccines. Hmm. Very, very interesting. So according to the AP, religious exemptions are becoming more widely used as a loophole to avoiding uh, getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. However, Reverend Robert Jeffries, an avid Trump supporter and pastor at the 1,200-member or 12,000-member uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas, told AP that he and his staff are neither offering exemption letters nor encouraging members of their congreg- uh, congregation to seek out religious exceptions from coronavirus vaccine mandates. Now, I remember him. I remember him from, yeah, for, he was like a huge supporter of, uh, I think during the campaign is when he first came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in a statement, he said, Christians who are troubled by the use of the fetal cell line for the testing of the vaccines would also have to abstain from the use of Tylenol, Pepto-Bismol, ibuprofen, and other products that use the same cell line if they are sincere in their objection. So that's his main argument, Right. Now, there are other religious organizations who have also followed suit, basically saying there should be no religious exceptions, which include the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New York, right? All have said the same thing, that they do not support exception letters, right, based on on, on the religion. Mm-hmm. Now, counter to this, there is, in according to the piece, some Catholic bishops, they didn't say who, but including... The Colorado Catholic Conference, who have actually posted online templates to make it easier for people to be able to basically be able to print out, print out a religious exception that a priest can just basically sign. Mm-hmm. And then there is Tulsa, where a pastor said that he will sign a religious exception letter if people donated to his church. <laughs> Got to pay the bills. <laughs> Love that one. What, what, what is that? What bills. is that? It's called Charlie. We, we you mentioned this before. Simony. Simony. That's right. But that's for a church service, so technically. Well, I guess technically, is that, it's sort of a church service. Yeah, I guess. Sort of. well, it's kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. Uh, it's, it's a str- it, Yes, it would fall into that category at some right. point. So, it's not good in any it's, level. Yeah, it's not good. So mm-hmm. courage or cringe. Texas mega church preacher saying there is no credible religious argument against COVID nineteen vaccines. It requires patience to really understand what the issue is here, and I know that it's tough to do in a punchy context. But here would, goes. Was that a punchier setup? I think. Very punchy. I liked it. It you, very you know straight right cross. Um, a religious exception can mean one of two things. Okay, mm-hmm. one is a positive meaning. My faith says I can't do this, okay? For example, Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate birthdays. Right. They don't have blood transfusions, right? Those are positive claims or teachings that the faith is making, right? You shall not do this thing. I didn't realize the positive, I mean the blood transfusion, but I knew about the birthdays. Interesting. Or a religious exception can mean something else. It can mean that you have the liberty to object based on the teachings of your church or the way that, you know, your church uh, forms you. So... This is especially true in the Catholic context because that faith teaches that it's sinful for an individual to go against their well-formed conscience on a given issue, right? So, again, there is no teaching from, in the case of the Catholic Church, saying that um, there is no religious exception that that can be had. Um, We've talked about this before, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that you can, you know, vaccine. the vaccines are good, the vaccines are moral, you should take the vaccines. You shouldn't be forced to take the vaccines if you personally, for well-formed reasons, have come to the conclusion and not to, no one should force you. That is like a very thumbnail sketch version of what the church teaches. And so mm-hmm. on some level, I think this pastor is right in the sense that there's no principled objection to be made, like from a religious context, your religion doesn't teach anything about vaccines per se. But 
that's kind of like one side but of the argument. But his argument's a little bit different than that, right? Because his oh, yeah. argument is basically saying like it's almost like you're being uh, disingenuous if you're saying that the reason you won't get the vaccine mm-hmm. is because of this testing that was that I guess is done to build a vaccine around around fetal cell line, right? Sure. If you're also taking Tylenol, Pepto Bismol, ibuprofen, and like right. I, I frankly didn't know, like I'm not well versed on that. And that is interesting way it to sort of be, think it about may it, be, it, right? May be but true, like, for sure. But then, so what if you said, okay, fine, I won't take Tylenol or right, anything like, like so, so then, how does that apply to people that are like that and, are like that? Right, because there are options for aspirin. Have, there's not that many options for vaccines. But, what, but it does raise an interesting point, which is, and maybe you, I'm sure you would know more than I would. I have never heard of, of someone saying that that they wouldn't take Tylenol. Because of that reason. Like, this is, a, frankly, the very first time that I've heard. Now, a lot of it was like we're in first-time situation because of COVID. Yeah. But I had never heard of anyone I not taking th- Pepto, not taking Tylenol. But I don't in reality, th- people don't even realize that's the case. No, no, no. I don't think – I think he's using it. He's being hyperbolic. He's using that example to make a point. It's not a real point. Nobody's sitting there going, should I or should I not take Tylenol because of fetal cell lines? Now, maybe there's some very informed people – and they happen to know that Tylenol back in the 50s or whenever it was formulated right. was tested on it, and therefore they don't take it. Okay. I've not come across that. Yeah. I don't know that that's a real thing. Right? But my point is that you can have a positive teaching or you can have a formation of faith that says that your conscience is preeminent, and if your well-formed conscience leads you to a conclusion, you should follow it. Even without having any affirmative or negative teaching on the vaccines, you could still end up requesting, for religious reasons, an exception, because your conscience leads you to that to that conclusion. So, so it, it, it's kind of weird. It's true and false that there is no religious exception um, that Pastor Je- Jeffers or Jeffries is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of tricky. You know, on the at the end of it, I'm trying to think of where I actually nerded out on this. Um, I think I went cringe on this, if I'm not mistaken, um, because again, I, I think he's answering the question as if there's a positive assertion that needs to be made by a church in order to provide a religious exception, and that's not the case because. There is no positive claim that Christianity or Islam or any of these things make against COVID vaccines. So in that case, he's right. But that's kind of not the point. The point is that – or it's not the only point. The point is you can come, because you're a person of faith, to an understanding about getting an exemption for this because your faith forms you in a particular way, even if the faith doesn't have an explicit teaching against the vaccine is what I'm saying. That's – yeah, that's really – Hearing you describe it is probably why I, yeah, the more I think about this, the more I almost am against any religious exception. Mm-hmm. Because my argument would be, well, why couldn't anyone else have the exact, come to the exact conclusion, but whatever forms them, right? If you think about religiosity, even non-religiosity being a type of, well, I'm using air quotes here, a type of religiosity, like even that being a category, right, that are unaffiliated, why could someone that is unaffiliated have a come to the same conclusion that in their soul of soul they believe that this is not the right thing to do, and therefore I get that an, they do, yeah. and therefore get an exception for it. Meaning, like if anyone can get an exception for any reason, then maybe, or if some can, then maybe anyone should, or no one should. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that, that's I the agree part where I, I don't really understand. <clears throat> and you can start saying, okay, well, what if someone that is part of a religious, you know, so experience that is only, you know, someone that is, let's say, someone that meditates all the time. Right. So your expectation is that Islam in the Quran or in the Talmud must specify no vaccines in order for you to have an exception based on religion. Well, that, that would be yeah, your the, 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 understanding. The, 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 I guess my question 
Maybe, maybe. Yeah, my question is like, what exactly are you pointing to from your faith? I just explained that, it to that, you for that, Christianity. So yeah, but but but, the, yeah. but when you explain to me for Christianity, it doesn't make sense. It does make sense what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I could apply that even if I'm not Christian, because yeah. everything you describe is not necessarily tied to a specific teaching. Right. What I'm simply saying is like, yeah, yes, it will. Anyone, it is tied to specific teachings. Well, well, yeah. All I'm saying is like on that same kind of logic, I could apply it. You could. I think to almost anything or anyone. Yeah. And so get, therefore, it's like then I'm struggling with well, then what makes it a religious exception in that case? Because it's actually not pointing something like very specific to say. Right. The irony. See what is, I'm saying? Like, like course, that, that's the part the, that I don't follow. I get it. The irony is that the first people to agree and say amen to what you just said would be most Christians and certainly all Catholics, because they would say people do have the the agency and ability individually without claims to religion to to decide whether or not right. to be vaccinated. They would say that. It doesn't require. The religion would teach that you don't need religion to basically come to this conclusion, which, right? Which is why when I see that, like, I guess as it relates to this specific topic, how we have it, right? Uh, him saying that, yeah, I'll, go, I'll be courage. And he's saying that because I, I think he's verbalizing what we're, what we're kind of saying. I mean, in essence, he said there isn't anything specific to point to to say that that there should be an exception. Yeah, now, to your a, point, yeah, is like mm-hmm. it te- the overall teaching tells you that you should have the right to make that call for yourself, which is a little bit of a different issue, I think. Um, and it's part it of is. why I'm more in the camp of saying I don't see how with a straight face we can have any religion. Like, is either one or the other? Either everyone can or anyone can get an exception, or no one can. Because yeah. I still have yet to heard I mean, an actual though, like clear logic right. as to why, in the case of, sure. of belief. Not medical belief, right? That someone well, like, there really are, sta- stands ground to say my belief specifically sure. says why I, I shouldn't be able to get. I mean, there are some. There probably are those. I don't maybe. know. I don't know if, if the Jehovah's Witness might be a good a good. Um, yeah, maybe. You know, maybe there's test a, case there. A good example of that. But generally speaking, a lot of medical procedures in period they object to, right? And that's actually an, uh, a positive claim of their faith, right? right? So there may exist. Yeah, that may be an example. Yeah. Um, oh man, I was going to say something I completely forgot. Um, but my po- oh yes, here, here it is. I, I actually think it's really troubling that we've gotten to the point where we're talking about what qualifies as an exception, because my position is that you you should have the liberty for these positions in general. That should be the starting point. So to your point, it's either all or nothing. My my point would be all right. That should be the starting point. That but, you should have yeah. the liberty. To be able I, to do that. And I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I guess when you look at the history of this country, that's never really been the case, though, right? I mean, in all cases, it's been vaccine first, exception second. I mean, especially with as race to kids, right? And we think about most of the vaccines. Uh, it just, it would basically change that, turn that into tech. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to get polio vaccine, you can choose whether or not to do it. You want to get basically any vaccine whatsoever. And there are people you can who choose. do that. History. I'm sure they are, yeah. there are people, but those are people, those are the exceptions, my point. That's not the rule. Right, but I'm saying— And those are even the mm-hmm. exceptions as it relates to kids going to school. There are certain schools that if you're public, if you're private, we've mm-hmm. talked about this, right? Private, mm-hmm. then you have more of that option. But if you're public, it's like, no, no, no. If you're going to be public in the public school, you have to be vaccinated for X number of vaccines. This sort of just falls in line with that. Um, and going to the position that you're taking is basically will turn that into a TED, saying that, no, no, no the, 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 the actual the default position is anyone can choose what they want to do or, or, or not. Mm-hmm. That's actually the default, not the exception. Yeah, and I think the default for me would be liberty and the choices of uh, medical intervention of any kind. That would be the default. Of course, the you know education, knowledge, data, science, all of these things 
you know, educate and, and, and convince the vast majority of people of goodwill to do the things that are good for them and for society. Yeah, they do. Your, your issue is more just forcing it. It's, it's yeah, the, that's the my issue. Yeah, I think yeah, if, I, I if you have to pick an either or, that one's an easy one for me. By the way, unrelated, mm-hmm. but I thought it was a hilarious story. The Did Emmys. You, no. No, no, no. This just thing that happened in Florida. Uh, I was Florida talking man. about this. Yeah, <laughs> Florida man. In Florida. Or Florida man is uh, it was actually specifically related to some of these exceptions, but not but this this now on masking, not on vaccines. Mm-hmm. Where apparently on August thirtieth, the Sarasota, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarasota County in Florida, their school district basically put in a mandate for for kids to actually have to wear masks as students, right? And the only exception will be those who could provide a sign, basically signed by a healthcare professional. So like signed in, by Ron DeSantis. So immediately, <laughs> this uh, chiropractor named Dan Bush, uh-huh. he signed over 500 medical exemptions forms, right, for the school district. $5 a piece. And it was just like... That's a lot of money. Like if, if it, and then when they found out, like, wait, a chiropractor? Like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, that's not what we meant by a, a, a healthcare professional. Oh, come on. You're going to dog and on the chiropractor. All, all I could think of when I heard that, when I heard that story, what I was telling you is uh, Two and a Half Men, right, where... I forget the name of the of the brother, or the character, but he was always like saying to the doctor, "Like, no, you're not. You're a chiropractor." Yeah, <laughs> he was constantly getting dog for being a chiropractor. I'm That's like, all I'm I can like, think about in this story. There's been there's definitely a lot of good and bad in chiropractic, but I mean, for for my case, I've gone to chiropractors many a time in my life, and I've always had very very good results. So, um, lots of love to my chiropractic brothers and sisters. Um, and there's some wacky ones, I'm sure. All right, uh, Emmys. Emmys so white. Hashtag Emmys so white. Uh, I believe it. So no actors of color win despite record nominee lineup. Applause. <laughs> so, I know. So we just had the 73rd Emmy Awards. That's what just happened. I went to the Emmys once. You know that. Have you ever been? I've never have, no. It's pretty trippy. I went there I went three, four years ago. Really? To the Emmys, yeah. I sat behind the um, Stranger Things kids. I didn't even oh, know who they cool. were. I didn't even know who they were. That was the whole row, whole row of little kids in front of, of my <laughs> wife and I. And we're like, what are these little kids doing here? And then literally four seconds later, they all stand up, go to the stage, and perform the opening act. And we're like, oh, there <laughs> must right. be something. But like, we hadn't seen the series. The series was like just blowing up. Oh, uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think 10, 20 years ago, I would have really cared. Yeah, I think at this point, it's probably tough. So join the crowd. So Apparently, it's a tough nobody a tough cares sell. about these things. Uh, so it happened just this Sunday. It was hosted by Cedric the Entertainer, mm-hmm. and even LL Cool J performed. Now he did a little piece in remembrance of Bismarcky. So, um, so I can already see the line. We can host and we can sing, but we can't the win. Entertainment. You know, That's right. You know, one of those, Here right? to keep you entertained, baby. But of course, per the usual, per the image we're not able to capitalize on its historic and diverse nomination feels. Right. Basically, all major acting trophies went to white actors. Now, I actually looked up to, because I was curious to see, like, well, how many, what percentage of nominees were diverse, et cetera, right? So, there was a, this is just for acting nominations, okay? So, there was a total of 96 nominees in the acting roles. So, think about drama, comedy, right? Total. Leading, yeah, total 96 right. acting roles, okay. uh, people that were, that were nominated. Mm-hmm. Of them, 56% were white. And forty four percent were people of color. That sounds actually pretty. You know, that's actually an over index for people yeah, of color. That's pretty. That's pretty good, actually, for right? People in that age range. It's actually an over index. For, for people, people that age, it is. Oh yeah, it would be. Yeah, it yeah. By yeah. percentage, not not tons. Like it'd be about forty to sixty to forty percent, right? Give for, it, give if forty it. is then is the average across all. Right. The, so if it's forty five, it's an over oh, index. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so that's pretty good, right? Now all <laughs> the, none of them would. <laughs> Super <laughs> so, diverse ballot. Black no actors, which they included Afro-Latinos, which, and that's always like a tricky one. Like where, you know, unfortunately for Afro-Latinos, like where do they fit, right? Um, but there are, uh, there, those were 37.5%. 
Afro Latino, thirty-seven. No, no, no. Black actors. Oh, black. Of which the Afro Latinos were part, oh, were part of it. Okay, were I'm counted sorry. as part I'm of the sorry. black yeah. actors. That okay. was almost thirty-eight percent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the, which is up about four percentage points from last year. And then Latino and Asian each got four <laughs> percent. So, super small number of uh, people, right? Uh, now there was some other Emmys that were given to diverse uh, talent, right? So Michaela Coel was nominated for four Emmys, and she picked up the writing limited category, uh, which makes her the third time a black creative has won the category and a first for a black woman. So that's that was that was, that was okay. nice. That's a big one. And there was also a record number of uh, with actually forty nine non Anglo creatives who were recognized in the acting and reality competition category. So reality that was a much bigger category, right? Okay. Um, now, for the past two years, the TV Academy has, you know, basically committed to increasing number of actors of color, and they have, but the performers in general have continued to basically come up short, right? At least some of the key demographics, especially Asian and Latinos. Um, and then uh, when you look at the actual uh, viewing, right, that, that was kind of interesting. So the Sunday's telecast of CBS averaged about 7.83 million viewers, right, which includes like the, which is the final kind of same day ratings, which includes uh, home viewing, which was up 23% uh, from last year and the highest since 2018 at 10.2 million. So it was, it was a bounce back year uh, for more than just one year, actually, for, for, for a number of years, right? Because last time it was as high or higher was basically it was 2018. So at least there it was a little bit a little bit higher. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, courage or cringe, hashtag Emmy So White again, or meritocracy rewarding the best even when not socially convenient. Yikes. So what are so we're the courageous is the fact the hashtag exists? I think the courage or cringe is whether, you know No the, actors of color win. No yeah, basically no actors of color win. Does that mean is that a, a think of it more from the perspective of what is the the goal of the Emmys? To recognize diverse actors or recognize the best actors? The best actors, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's B. Um, having said that, I think you need intentional um, steps because in the absence of the inside being like the outside, you need some help. And that's just the reality for me. So look, I'm a cringe, but maybe not for why you think or why people think. Right. Um, the reality is when you look at Latinos, 6% behind and in front of the camera, uh, African-Americans, slightly less than 6% are black in front and behind the camera. And that's the challenge, right? It's like you could say, in this case, none of them won. But if exactly 6% won, would you be happy? Like, I could make the case, like, okay, we had one winner, so that's okay. That's right in line with the with the average. Well, even I mean, what's interesting about that point you're making is that not only the 6%, but when you think of relative population, it is under. It's about 13%. It's half. But when you think about the number that were nominated, it's actually, like, way over indexed. Right, which then leads you to, again, a little bit of maybe dramatizing of what might be happening is, like, we got to make sure that these guys show up on the ballot. Right. But when it comes down to brass tacks— Maybe it doesn't make a difference. Look, I think that people should win based on their skill and their ability to perform, and um, and that should be the key driver. But I feel like it's kind of um, it's kind of a it, it's a little bit of cosmetics on the issue until you can get to a point where the industry is itself diverse. Yeah, and it just isn't. It just isn't diverse. It isn't. Right. And so, kind of holding it to this very pluralistic integrated, diverse goal when it isn't is kind of unrealistic. It's, it's like, kind of unrealistic. It's like there's like virtual signaling on the nominations and then the reality sets in in terms of who actually wins. Yeah. I mean, 
Although not for Latinos, because they're uh, obviously we can't find nah, Latinos that are, that are that yeah, well, we got I mean, like four percent or Asians for six, that matter. No, six percent behind and in front of the camera. When you take J Lo out of it, it's point five. <laughs> okay, I mean she, she you takes know, up all the roles: director, producer, actress, <laughs> singer, musician, writer. She I mean, so quadruple like, count it. <laughs> yeah, so like, look. The, so anyway, my point is, yeah, I'm cringe, but I feel it's just a, it's this swirly kind of echoey conversation that goes nowhere. I don't think it matters until really the industry is representative or looks and feels and is like its consumers in a greater way. And right now it just isn't. It just isn't. And so I think we should work towards that. But yeah. I feel like all these conversations, it's so white. It's so white. It's cringy on all levels. It's cringy because it's cringe. And then complaining about it is cringy. It's just – it doesn't right. – the, the problem to me is very easy. Like the problem is clear. The problem is that the Emmys are so white. The problem is that the industry is so white. There you go. Thank you. So uh, between courage or cringe, my response is who cares? <laughs> Thank you. That's I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's such a tough one for me. Yeah. I, like when did, the cur- when did the Emmys were last relevant? Like that's also part of the challenge as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there is a major issue. And I, I agree with you. I think reframing the question around diversity of the industry is the right way to think about it. Because that then feeds who, like, who is getting opportunities, what roles are being written for, Who's being casted for those roles? Who's working on the creative? Everything from people that are directors, you know, script writers, et cetera, that all could influence better stories to get to get made uh, with better talent to get more opportunities. Because like all these guys that are that are winning and women that are winning are also for the most people that have been in the industry for a while, that have gone the opportunities, that have been able to develop their skill set. You know, by the time they get that, like I know Ted Lasso has gotten like great, great reviews. Yeah, and twenty nominations, right? That's awesome. And, and from, from everything that I hear, people are saying like, "Great, great show, great writing, great acting." That's awesome. Like I saw like five episodes. I, I've never of seen. It. It. I've never seen it. Yeah. But from what everyone talks about it, is is great. It, mm-hmm. I have nothing negative to say about that. All, all I'm simply saying is that you have to rewind. Like 10, 15 years before, for everyone that worked in that show, that got the opportunities to work, to be a assistant, to be like uh, writing, a, you know, be participating in a, writing a script, to be a junior producer, all the people that needed to get opportunities 15 years ago to get to the point to work in a show like Ted Lasso that is going to be awesome. We need to do that for everybody else. So we'll be there in 15 or 20 years is what you're saying. That's kind of what it is. So I am in the who cares category. Lovely. I'm, I'm current, Introducing current. a new category. New to category. Who C, cares? C, C, or W. <laughs> exactly. Very good. All uh, right. Here, here's this, something with no controversy. China. Uh, the courage or cringe. The Chinese version of TikTok is limiting kids to 40 minutes a day. That's kind of what, Is it the Chinese version of TikTok or yes. just ByteDance, the parent company? No, no. It's, oh, it's both, Chi- right? It's, it's, well, it's owned by ByteDance, but, right. the, but is the, it actually is the Chinese version of TikTok, right? So, which is called uh, Douyin, D-O-U-Y-I-N. Douyin, I think I'm saying it correctly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember So, they're introducing a teenage mode, right? That basically limit the amount, that time that children under the age of 14 can spend on the app to 40 minutes a day. Also, the app will be unavailable to those users between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Right now, the measure will only apply to all those Douyin users uh, under the age of fourteen who have registered for the app using their real names. You know, now now we can talk about fake accounts versus fake. See, this is this is not, now is applicable, Charlie. Going your rant. Uh, well, what's the Douyin version of the fake account? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it's going to create yeah. that, right? Do, uh, yeah. So the company has urged parents to help their children register with their real names or otherwise manually enable teenage mode, right, within their accounts. 
Now, the app has also said it's going to introduce new content ranging from science experiments and museums to art gallery exhibitions and natural scenery to inspire younger teens, right? Now, this is being seen by many as a proactive measure by ByteDance, which is the parent company of both TikTok and Douyin, right? Uh, and then, but, but it kind of speaks to the dynamics in China, which is Chinese regulators have already started pressuring tech companies to curve the amount of time miners spend on the services. Now, in June, China revised its minor protection law, which requires internet service providers, including social media apps, to set up corresponding functions such as time management, content restrictions, and consumption limits for miners. Also, up to this last month, the country barred, and this is China once again, barred online gamers under the age of 18 from playing on weekdays and limited their play <laughs> to just three hours most of the I weekend. need this in my house. I want the Chinese government to come over to my place. So, courage or, or cringe, clear violation of personal freedoms or needed regulation to protect children. Jesus, this is a really interesting this is a good conversation. One. This is a good one. And I went back and forth a number of times. I surprised myself that I kind, I think I ended up in courage. And let me tell you why. That is very surprising. That is extremely surprising. Mr. Freedom, so, freedom, freedom, so, freedom is your response well, to what well, makes America hang, awesome. Hang on one second. Yeah, my body, my choice. I've heard you say that before. <laughs> Some, that reminds me of freedom. Um, so he, here's the point that, well, it's a long, it's a convoluted journey, but I'll do it quickly. Number one is this is part of a much larger social control thing that China's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Focusing on the next generation. Yeah. China's right. building like a 200 year plan or something crazy yeah. to basically take over the universe, right? They want to be the biggest power, yada, yada. So they're trying to recapture the communist spirit and the, the origin story of like Mao and Stalin and all this stuff. They've they right. like a whole program. Okay? And they don't have to worry about personal freedoms that is going to get in the way of any of, the, only of that game they plan. They don't want any of that stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, personal nonsense. agency, make a decision for yourself. Come on. <laughs> Just do it. Okay, so having said that, and Uh I've made this point before, the point before is that these companies, and I don't know if ByteDance fits into it, but it happens to be the one that they own. They don't own Facebook or Amazon or Google or Microsoft. So, But these companies are not standard companies, and they're not quite utilities. They kind of fall into this weird gap in terms of their influence over Mm -hmm. general the general population and the potential health challenges that they create for the general population. Okay. So on some level, they fall within the government domain, right? They kind of fall within the government domain, at least in my, in my way of thinking. And the reality- yeah, I would say in your way of thinking. Uh-huh. In your way of thinking, right? But this is where my argument is. I'm trying to create a cogent argument, right? Uh-huh. So, so everybody realizes that these platforms, right, because of their global accents, their ubiquity, and increasingly we're finding all the dramatic impact that they make to health, to wellness, to you know people's view of self-image. They kind of should be treated more like electricity or chemicals or guns. Like you can't go in and buy 600 pounds of fertilizer right now because some guy blew up a federal building 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think it falls yeah, within Timothy that category. Ca- McVeigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you fall in a situation where there's some element of regulation that – corresponds in an appropriate way to a government. I'm not saying anything about this government. I could, believe me, I've got more than enough problems with what they do, but to a government. My, my, my issue, would, with any other decision, I would say government shouldn't be involved in that. So it'd be easy cringe for me. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it falls within the category of thing that increasingly I do think that the company, ha- the, the government rather, has to have some position on, Right. And so that's why, and because it's, a, because it's addressed to minors too, mm-hmm. 
those two things, minors and that it falls in a category of things that the government could reasonably have oversight over are the reason why netted out encouraged. Now, that's not saying anything about the government itself that's All doing right. it. No, we're talking about specifically okay. in, in this. Yeah, it's a very un- specific use case. Right. But, but let me, mm-hmm. let me I guess, push another. Go bit. ahead. One is, so you're, I mean, in this case, I think that the, the dynamic that is really interesting is that they are forcing this policy on all kids. Mm-hmm. Well, taking, they're forcing it on the company. Well, no, no I'm sorry. Uh, the well, the company sort of right. The companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me let me rephrase. That. I'm sorry. Yeah, the company is forcing it on all kids. Now they're doing that because they see like they see obviously the right in the wall. And they're like this. The government's going to force us, so let's just do it before they force us preemptively. But but in this case, okay, the company's forcing it on all kids, mm-hmm. taking parents out of that equation. Mm-hmm. So I guess part of the question to you would be is that what merit or what. How do you feel about that and the fact that in this case, you're putting the onus on the company to regulate behavior that a kid has that a parent could regulate themselves or to some extent should regulate themselves? I guess I didn't get into the specifics of how the actual application works, but rather just the idea that these regulations were being put in place for that age group. So I, I didn't yeah, get into yeah. that. I mean, but, but, but that's what it is, right? They're yeah. saying, hey, if mm-hmm. any kid, if you're under 14, you could only use the app for, for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right now, even right now, if you have an iPhone, you can put a restriction on your kids for only wa- using the phone for a certain yeah. amount of time, right? So they, they give you the tools to do it. Most people probably don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really is a question of that, right? Like, is this, like, who is the onus on? Is the onus on the company to create policies that regulate how children behave around these platforms? Or is it more about they should just giving, make it easier for the parents to have the tools to be able to regulate their kids on the platform? I believe in almost every instance it's the latter. It's giving resources and tools to the parents. But I think that we've introduced a new category of animal here in these companies, mm-hmm. and I've made the point before. And I think that's the reason why I really believe that regulation is coming to in – U- in the U.S. is coming to these companies with – Pretty strong bipartisan support. Now, what it actually is, I don't know. Right, right, right. But it's because they, they're not a bakery or a mechanic or a Home Depot or whatever it is. But they're this thing that has a tremendous amount of sway globally, nationally, in very and like one push of one button makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. It's, it, it, it's in a unique category. Now, my answer may not be the best one. It's not a perfect solution. There's no question right, right, about right. it. But on balance, that's what push me over the edge because I feel yeah. that the government has some legitimate concern for companies like this yeah, as for opposed sure. to like I mean, a bakery. There, there is a real correlation between the amount of usage on these platforms and what it does to kids' health, mental wellness, et cetera. So that's real in all scenarios for sure, right? And you can say here that whether or not you agree with the Chinese government, they're being very aggressive about saying, hey, we need you, company, private industry, to be much better. And their definition of private is very different than our definition of private. But much better about protecting our kids and their mental wellness and being having more productive citizens of our country. I get all that. The reason why I'm cringe on this is I liked everything except for when they take it out of the parents' hands. Like if, if, if part of the, the answer was like, hey, we're going to create these tools now. Now if you're using TikTok – I'm going to set up a setting. And by the way, and I'm going to do a big marketing campaign, marketing to parents. Say, hey, guys, know that we know that we're really good about getting people to engage in this content. We know that people create Finster accounts. We know all this stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it really easy, easier for you as a parent, especially if you have kids. And we make it really simple to create even default settings. And the same one that if I'm, that if I'm watching Netflix 
and I have and I'm setting up an account for my daughter, I could set up a kid's account. And I know by definition it's gonna basically filter out certain types of content that, that shows up. And that gives me more control, more comfort level. I I'd rather have that than this this trying to figure out whether or not mm. my daughter and then automatically put it in her in that in that category. See what I'm saying? I do. So I th- I would be way more for this idea if it's simply more of a just making it really easy for parents to be able to regulate in this case and putting the kind of restrictions that they're talking about, but that where they get to choose. And maybe maybe for a certain parents, like, hey, my kid is actually super responsible. And they do all their work and they really like playing video games. And it's actually for them, it's actually part of a way that they interact socially with their other friends. And we have an agreement that as long as he does the stuff, then he's able to do that. The, the part that I do like the most, by the way, of this, where I actually like it is, as even as a, as, a, as a point of in regulation is the cutoff between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Because that part, I think, is really hard to regulate with kids who have access to phones that will be sitting there in the middle of the night looking at their oh, phone. Yeah. So if there's anything that I like that as a policy, uh, is, is like turning off these apps or they can't access them a certain period of time. Like that's maybe the part that I am encouraged on what mm-hmm. they've done. A limited of time, I would rather see that as a, just as a as a as a maybe it's even a default setting, sure. But something that a parent can Built specifically in go in and and actually and change. I think that's a very reasonable, principled, logical, rational point that you've just made. And frankly, it's a point that I would normally make. Here's the toggle for me. Okay. The toggle for me is that I view these platforms increasingly like I view the speed limit. Okay. I wouldn't want a scenario where you, Jesus, get to tell your daughter what the speed limit is. Yeah. And I get to tell my kid what the speed limit is. Yeah, I And that's increasing. It's not quite that. It's yeah, not yeah, entirely, yeah. but it's edging into that space. And I think that that is the appropriate place for government to have a perspective and weigh in, which is why I really believe we're headed here in this country to something. It won't be similar or won't be identical, rather but something that's going to be regulating these things in that way. And I do actually believe it's appropriate. And that gives no weight at all to anything the Chinese government does otherwise, because I disagree with it. But I got to give it to them on this one, I guess. At least you, you agree with them. So now, because yeah. you agree on one thing, when you use that same kind of political dynamic, it means you agree on all of it. That's You're it. a, uh, it's a slippery slope. communist supporter. Slippery slope. Yeah. Of all the things I haven't been called, I've been called a lot. Communist is not one of them. <laughs> That's but, basically uh, what you are now because you agree to one thing that Chinese government is doing. The night is young. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Awesome. Good conversation, Jesus. Was that punchier, pithier? For yeah, all those I mean, people, once, once we got past the first one, for all those people that, who said punchy, that sidetrack that we did, uh, yeah, I think it got, it got better. I know everything there is to know about Finsta now. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Well, awesome. We, we get my my niece Rukshin who could explain the whole thing to you, Charlie. She's really good. She's. Uh, I actually looked some stuff indexes. up. I looked some stuff Super up. Super hard. So, so I gotta, you know, I gotta now look at different sources. Apparently, uh, go to different sources to get my information. Okay. All right. Anything else? No. All right. We're good. Everybody. We'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. 
The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 